Chapter 5 His Glorious Appearing by D. W. Whittle The only people I have ever found in this country, or any other country, who show that they have really been stimulated to Christian work are those who have first gotten the truth into their hearts. And there is no truth, according to my observation, that has so stimulated men to consecration and work for Christ as the truth of the Scriptures concerning the personal coming of the Lord Jesus. There is nothing that has so blessed me as to see this truth. Nothing did so much to get me into Christian work. Evangelists throughout the country, as a rule, hold the truth as to the second coming of the Lord and are blessed by it. And when you see ministers from the Atlantic to the Pacific coast that are being blessed and filled with the Spirit, and people love to hear the Word of God from them, you will usually find that this truth has been opened up to them. Then let us dismiss our prejudices. Let us look to the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. There's nothing in this truth that is so very mysterious. It's just as plain and simple as can be when you take a common sense presentation of it. What we want is to take the Bible as it reads, to let the Word of God speak to us just as God has given it and lay aside all the preconceived ideas, notions, and whims of men. The doctrine has been shamefully abused. Dates have been set, ascension robes prepared, and fanatical teachings spread abroad. Thus there has been a great reaction. But all this is the work of the devil. He wants to get God's people away from the truth. Yet the truth is in the Scriptures, and we will find it there if we look for it. Now, there are seven points that I want to make clear in connection with this doctrine. 1. First, the coming of the Lord mentioned in the Scriptures is not death. If I want Him to remain until I come, what is that to you? John 21:22. The disciples had an idea that John was not to die, but that he was to tarry on the earth until the Lord Jesus would come again. They didn't understand that the coming of the Lord meant death. Again, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. 1 Corinthians 15:51. That is, we will not all die, but we will all be changed when the Lord comes. Again, Paul says, But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Philippians 1, 23. That was his idea of what dying was, not the coming of the Lord to him, but his departing to be with the Lord. Dying is departing to be with the Lord and the coming of the Lord mentioned in the Scriptures is the Lord coming to this earth for us. John says, So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. John 11, 14-15. That is, he is in the grave, I am going to raise him from the dead, and in his resurrection I am to be glorified and you will understand my power as you never did before. That is where the resurrection came in. God was to be glorified in the resurrection. Now, Jesus was on his way to Lazarus. Was the death of Lazarus the coming of Christ? Jesus said, Let us go to him. For what? 
to raise him from the dead. Then the coming of Christ was not his death, but the very opposite. I suppose if some of those brothers had been there who explain away the Scriptures by saying that the coming of the Lord means death, and if they had been called upon to preach the funeral sermon, they would have said, Dear friends, we know very well that Jesus promised Mary and Martha that He would come, and we know very well that He is on His way. We believe He will fulfill His word. But don't you see, dear friends, that this is the meaning of His words? Lazarus is dead, and the Lord has come. He has come in death. That is how He has fulfilled His word. Still, that was not the fulfillment of it at all. Lazarus's death meant an entirely different thing, and the coming of the Lord meant resurrection. It does not mean death, it means life. 2. The second point I would make is this. The coming of the Lord is not the destruction of Jerusalem. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Luke 21, 20-21, and 24. The fulfillment of this prophecy is still going on, evidently. Jerusalem is still trodden underfoot by the Gentiles. In this passage there are two things spoken of. First, the destruction of Jerusalem, and second, then a judgment coming upon corrupt Christendom. I think the destruction of Jerusalem is a type of that which will come upon corrupt Christendom when the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Judaism became corrupt. When Christ came, the people as a whole would not receive Him. And there were Sadducees denying the resurrection. But there was a little company of Jews that were godly righteous Pharisees awaiting the coming of the Messiah. The religion of the nation, as a nation, was corrupt. What is Christendom today? We forget that true believers are a mere handful as compared with the great mass that profess the name of Jesus Christ. In the time of our Lord's ministry, the prominent thing in the minds of the disciples was Judaism, the temple and all the ritualism of the Jewish religion. And in this passage, the first thing Christ said was, This is all to be swept away. Your temple is to be destroyed. Then, beyond that, he told them of further events pertaining to the latter day. Scripture Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Revelation 1 7. This is in the last book of the Bible. The book of Revelation was written, according to our chronology, about the year A.D. 96. It was written by John when he was an old man. John wrote his epistles in the year A.D. 90, and the book of Revelation a few years later. And this last book of the inspired volume is full of testimony concerning the second coming of our Lord. Well, Jerusalem was destroyed in the year A.D. 70. Consequently, Jerusalem was destroyed many years before John wrote the book of Revelation. In the writing of Revelation, the time of the coming of the Lord was still future. When anyone asks you on this point, you can just say, How is it that John, after Jerusalem was destroyed, 
still bears testimony to the coming of the Lord as a future event. 3. The third point is that the coming of the Lord is not the coming of the Holy Spirit. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. John 16, 7. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Acts 1, 8. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Acts 2, 4. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Then, according to the argument that the coming referred to was the coming of the Spirit, after the Spirit has come, you will not hear anything more of the coming of Christ. But how is this so? After the Holy Spirit came, you hear a great deal more about the coming of Christ than ever before. Again, that He may send Jesus the Christ, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things. Acts 3, 20-21. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit while delivering this sermon, and his testimony was to direct the people to the fact that Jesus is coming back to this earth. In view of that, he says, Repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Acts 3.19. 4. The fourth point is that the coming of Christ is a personal and visible coming. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. See my hands and my feet, that it is I, myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. They gave him a piece of a broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Luke 24, 36, 40, 42. It was the person of our risen Lord, not a vision, not an intangible something or other. A real, living person stood before them. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Acts 1, 3, 9, 11. Could anything be more real than that? Thank God for facts. Thank God that we have a gospel based on facts. It is a fact that I am a sinner, that you are a sinner, a hell-deserving sinner, condemned by God's law. It is a fact that you need a Savior. It is a fact that Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, lived on this earth, obeyed the law, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, that his literal body rose again, and that that literal body ascended into heaven. And it is a fact that angels escorted him and said, This Jesus will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Let us believe. Let us take the word of God as God has given it to us, and we cannot go astray. Can he not come back again and be personal and visible on this earth when it would please him to do so? Scripture, If I go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John 14, 3. I go, I come. He went away in person, and he says, I will come again. It is the same I that comes. If I go, I will come. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. The Lord himself, emphasis added. How blessed and how comforting. When an old woman was dying, someone said to her that the angels would soon come for her. Oh, no, said she, the Lord himself will come. There is no other comfort for one who is truly born of God. It is the Lord himself who was here, personal and visible, that is coming to take his saints to himself. 5. The fifth heading is that there are three things connected with his coming, and it has helped me to view it in three aspects. We must rightly divide the Word of God. The man that has only one pigeonhole and puts into it everything in the Word of God is likely to get things badly mixed up. The Holy Spirit has given us three pigeonholes Jew, Gentile, and the Church of God. One portion of the Word of God is for one, another for the second, and another for the third. I want, under this fifth heading, to consider the coming of our Lord in its aspect to Israel. Scripture Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew 23, 37, 39. There is the final farewell of Israel's Messiah to Israel. He withdraws, is crucified shortly afterwards, and now he is being preached to the Gentiles. Again, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Romans 11:15. Also, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. Romans 11:25. How many of us are ignorant? Seven times this phrase is used in the New Testament. There are seven things the Holy Spirit does not want Christians to be ignorant of. Let us hear what this one is. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Romans 11, 25-26, Yes, though you may despise them, they are beloved. Every Jew is an object of God's special love. He may be down in Chatham Street selling old trousers, old army blankets, dyed and scoured, or old slouch hats. You may despise the Jews, but they are beloved for the Father's sake. They are the seed of Abraham, and they are dear to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was ready to die so that they might have the light of the gospel. Scripture, In that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Zechariah 12, 8. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day the Lord will be the only one, and His name the only one. Zechariah 14, 9. 
These words are just as plain as they can be, if people will only read them and believe them as they read. Don't take any commentator and let him explain away the plain sense. John Bunyan was once studying this passage, and when he came to the words foretelling that the feet of the Lord will stand on the Mount of Olives, he thus reasoned, Some commentators say that the Mount of Olives means the heart of the believer, that it is only a figurative expression, and means that the Lord will reign in the heart of the believer, and the Holy Ghost will dwell there. But I don't think it means that at all. I just think it means the Mount of Olives, two miles from Jerusalem, on the east. Look at poor Israel today. How literally God's word regarding them is being fulfilled. They are scattered among all nations. Down in New Orleans, in a Hebrew cemetery, you will see this inscription in Hebrew letters over the roadway The dispersed of Judah. I pity any believing man that is not touched by that. At that day when Christ will come, oh, what a revelation to Israel! Jerusalem will be rebuilt, and Christ their Messiah will be recognized. They will say, What are these wounds in your hands? He will say, I was wounded in the house of my friends. And they will bow down before him and acknowledge him as king. This aspect of the coming of the Lord fulfills every promise made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. 6. The sixth point is the aspect of the coming of the Lord to the unbelieving world. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. Acts 15, 13-14. That is the present dispensation. There is nothing said about the conversion of the world, but God is now visiting the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. With this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen. Acts 15, 15-16 Has fallen. What does that mean? Read the whole prophecy from which it is taken, and find a description of Israel. Scripture And I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Acts 15, 16-17 After the tabernacle of David is rebuilt, and the promises to Israel are fulfilled, what then? The destruction of the world? No. There is to be an opportunity for the residue of men to seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles will learn of Him. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14 Will there be a judgment? Yes, for the unrepentant ones, the ungodly ones, those that have rejected Christ. Will there be a destruction of the world? No, there is to be a glorious time on this earth. Scripture The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction, 
away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9 There is the judgment of those that have rejected the gospel. They are in danger today. I do not like to put a thousand years between us and the judgment of the wicked. I believe it is an awful error to do so. The unrepentant are in danger this very hour, and we are not warning them as we should. I don't see a shadow of hope for those who have heard the gospel and had gospel privileges and up to this time are rejecting Christ. The judgment is for them, then punishment is for them. See Zechariah 14:16. Any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. At the appearing of the Lord to set up His kingdom, the world is not destroyed, evidently. There are nations left to go up. Scripture I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Revelation 20, 4-6 Here is where we get the millennium. Now you see the meaning of the word pre-millennial. Pre means before. The premillennial coming means Christ is coming before the millennium. There will be no millennium until He comes. That is plain Scripture. Many people have an idea that we are going to get the millennium by means of telephones, steam engines, swift Atlantic steamers, and all the appliances of modern civilization. These things, they imagine, are to bring the millennium, and then, at the end of the millennium, Christ will come. But it is scriptural that Christ will come first. He must come before His reign of a thousand years. He is to usher in the millennium by His coming. If the post-millennial theory is true, when is the millennium to commence? Certainly it has not come yet, nor does it seem to be coming. Look at London, with its millions in degradation and sin. Look at our own country and its great cities like Chicago, with anarchists and communists propagating their doctrines. If the world is to become better first, we are very far from the millennium still. But death is here, sin is here. Telephones and swift steamships do not change the heart. We may have a wonderful civilization, but that is not regeneration. The time described in Scripture has not begun to dawn yet. But it is coming. It is not for us to know the times and seasons, but when it comes, it will not be by means of modern inventions and discoveries. The Lord Jesus Christ will get the victory, and He will get the glory. 7. And now, what is the aspect of the coming of the Lord to His church? This is my seventh point. He said to the disciples, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, Look there, look here, do not go away, and do not run after them. 
For, just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in His day. Luke 17, 22-24. That is the warning for us. Some years ago in Jerusalem, there was a man who said he was the Lord, and people followed after him. In Cincinnati, there was a woman who believed she was the Lord. Christ warns us that there will be people saying, Look here and look there. There will be delusions. Do not be concerned with them. The Lord does not give us any dates, but He just tells us to watch. When He comes, there will be no deception. It will be plain to us all. It will be like the lightning flashing throughout the whole sky. Don't be carried away by those who fix dates and are busy with delusions. It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority. Acts 1 7. Let us rest there, living in an attitude of expectation, living in a spirit of consecration, doing God's work faithfully, so that we are ready to meet Him if He should come today. Scripture Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness, and the worries of life, and that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. Luke 21, 34-36. That is where some of us feel that we have our hope, of the rapture of the church. Some people think we are going to be put through tribulations, going to be sifted and tested. I think the Lord will give us discipline before His appearing. But if we are watching and ready, we will have strength to escape all these things. See 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And thank God for their inexpressible comfort. The dead in Christ will rise first. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 You have loved ones laid away in the cemetery. Their bodies are resting, waiting for the resurrection. At the voice of the archangel, they will rise and receive their new bodies. They have followed Jesus in going down into the grave, and they will have their precedence, or shall have their glorified bodies before us who may be living. But immediately we will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. We are certainly associated with them in his glory. When he sets up his kingdom on earth, His bride will be with him. Where will I be? I will be with Christ, together with all the saints, and we will judge the earth. When Christ comes, we will be associated with him in his reign. Therefore, dear friends, the aspect to us of Christ's appearing involves 1. Deliverance from this present evil world. Scripture, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Galatians 1, 4. 2. Deliverance from judgment. Scripture. And to wait for His Son from heaven, 
whom He raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. 3. Deliverance from this body of corruption. Scripture. The creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Romans 8, 21-23. 4. Gathering with loved ones. Many of our families have been scattered. The dear ones are far away. But when Christ comes, there will be a great home gathering. And 5. Seeing Jesus. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. 1 John 3 2. I like the thought that our union with Christ is a real union. Everything that concerns me, Christ is concerned about, and everything that concerns Christ, I am concerned about. So it is in regard to this coming of Christ, in regard to the setting up of His kingdom on earth, and in regard to the manifestation of His glory. Oh, how selfish and vain, how narrow is the range of that man's vision who can only think of these things in connection with his miserable self! These concern the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the Mount of Olives, where they put the mock scepter in his hand, and spit upon him, and derided him, in that very place Jesus Christ is to come, and be made manifest in his glory. It is all his glory. You poor, miserable, selfish man or woman, do you think that Christ died simply to keep you out of hell, simply to make you happy? The Bible tells you from beginning to end that your salvation is not your own salvation merely, but also that Jesus Christ be glorified. Your pardon shows His grace. Your sanctification shows His holiness. Your resurrection shows His power, and your being glorified is to reflect His glory. It all concerns Him, and because it concerns Him, it should concern us, and we should love how we ought to love His glorious appearing.